Well, good morning, everyone, and I welcome each one of you to Berean Calvary Chapel. I'm glad you're here. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I don't normally do this, but those of you who are watching online, either by Zoom, YouTube, or uh, through our website, I welcome you here as well. And um, I just pray that the Lord uh, encourages all of us as a church family, both here and extended. And I miss the people that aren't able to come, and I know many of them have underlying conditions so that they are not able to come. And I just want you to know we miss you. And uh, one day, soon, we're all going to be together again. Maybe not here, maybe there. That would be even better. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your Holy Spirit that not only brings to us salvation, but also is the seal and deposit of our redemption. And that one day, very soon, you're coming for your church to take us out of this world. And Father, during that time, we know that a revival will take place. And so I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would give us the tenacity and give us the willingness to share our faith everywhere we go. So when that day comes and you take your church out, many, many people will know the reason why. And they will give their lives to you and be born again. And so I pray your blessing upon our teaching this morning as well, Lord. As we cover this portion of Scripture, I ask that you would anoint and fill me with your Holy Spirit and uh, use me to minister to these, your beautiful people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm on, right? <clears throat> okay. You know, um, it's gonna going to sound like a strange start, but there's a, I have a meaning and a purpose behind it. The world's changed. All of a sudden, boom. And um, I remember... 54 years ago, when I was taking anatomy and physiology at SUNY Cortland, Dr. Schick, my, one of my favorite professors, he said he deserved an A for uh, teaching the class, and the rest of us would have to fight for the lower grades. But anyway, um, he, uh, one of the things that we saw in the class was uh, the fertilization of an egg. It was a video. Now, all the cells of our body are 46 chromosomes, except for the sperm cell and the egg cell are, are uh, 23 chromosomes. Now, here's the point I'm getting at. When fertilization takes place, there's like <clears throat> a change. It's the weirdest thing. If, you've ever, if you ever get a chance, you can go online now and probably see it. Everything changes, and there's like a coating that's put around it so no more you know, fertilization can take place. I feel that's what's happen happened in our world. It just seems like something has happened. And I believe it's because we're so close to the time Jesus is going to take us out of the world. And I wanted to read a few things uh, to you, statistics that blew my mind. And this is called the Watchman and World's Report, and some of you, you know, might get it. It's, um, it's free in the mail. <clears throat> and this is this month. Um, just 2% of millennials hold a biblical worldview. It's the lowest that we've ever had in this nation. And Christian girls in Egypt are being abducted for sex slaves at an alarming rate. Uh, human rights advocates uh, slam anyone who believes that abortion is wrong. They absolutely slam them. And uh, over four in 10 Americans question the biblical view saying that the Bible is ambiguous. 
And also um, in Netherlands, they are promoting, and I think it might have already been, um, I don't know if it's been brought into law yet, and uh, that allows euthanasia. That means you can just put someone to death because of whatever, up to 12 years of age. And um, also Christians in Laos are being kicked out of their houses, being forced to live in the woods off the land because of their faith. And European Jewish population has decreased drastically, the lowest in, in decades. And in Israel, the population is increasing, which is, of course, a prophecy that the Jews would return back to their homeland before the coming of the Lord. And suicide is up 100% among the most populous counties of Wisconsin. So we're living in very, very unusual times. We're living in a time that I believe the Lord is going to be coming back for his church. And one of the things that I really encourage every one of us to do as believers, it's so easy to realize, well, the Lord's coming back. Let's, you know, go and stand on the mountaintop and wait for him like the Thessalonians did. And Jesus had to write Second Thessalonians to rebuke them. Get off the mountain and do the work. And so we need to understand Jesus is coming back. We, bet we should be more vocal about our faith than any other time in history. We should be more willing to share with everyone we have contact with. Well, what if they think badly of me? Well, they'll think a whole lot worse of you if you don't tell them the truth and they're left behind. And so I think it's important for us to understand that we need to do this. And before we look into this portion of, of the Bible study, in fact, if you want to open your Bibles, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 19. I'll be covering verses 1 through 13. And before we get into this portion, there's something I really would like you to ask yourselves, and it's this. Um, we have to ask ourselves, is our relationship with the Lord simply social? by going to church every Sunday? Is it simply a philosophy that we agree with, or is it relationship? If it is relationship, our heart has been changed because we now pray to be in communion with the Lord our God. And to be in communion with the Lord doesn't mean just a you know, casual acquaintance. To be in communion with someone is to be close to them, is to be involved, to be intertwined with them which is what it literally means to be intertwined with them. And that's the way we need to be with the Lord. Because we have to understand that we as believers should feel a compulsion to read the Word. You know why? Because this is the Word of God to man. This is the Logos, the Word of God to man. And the reality is, it is not just a book. I mean, the Bible itself is a book, but when we read it, it's no longer a book. It's the living word of God speaking to our hearts. Because the thing we need to understand, it's kind of like if you receive a letter. I don't know how many people receive letters anymore, but let's say email. From someone you really love, and when you're reading that letter or you're reading that email, you're not reading words. You're hearing that person speaking to you. You know what I'm saying? And the same thing is true here. When we read the word of God, we should be hearing God speaking to us. His word is so true. I mean, the fact is that the Bible itself is over one-third prophecy. 
And the thing that makes that interesting is other religious books don't have any prophecy in it. You know why? Because if you predict something is going to happen and it doesn't happen, it makes you out to be a liar. But to have prophecy is to really lay out this as being the truth. Because if it doesn't happen, I'm testifying that what I wrote isn't true. But everything that the Bible has testified and prophesied would happen has happened. Even people, in fact, <clears throat> it's interesting, I have a, an old set of Matthew Henry commentaries, and they go back to the 1800s. And when it comes to the portions about Israel being restored as a nation again, you know, in their homeland once again, Matthew Henry, you know, he tries to explain it away, saying, well, you know, that really can't ever happen again, and, but the church really now has become Israel, and, and in the United States we're... Re and anyway, they start explaining that whole prophecy away because in their minds they could not, in the 1800s, conceive in any way, shape, or form how Israel would be back in their homeland as a nation. They are. And if Abraham walked back into Israel... He could understand what they were saying. They speak the ancient Hebrew. It's absolutely amazing. Well, you see these prophecies taking place, and it should absolutely blow our minds. The things that are happening in the Middle East are shaping up just like Ezekiel 38 tells us it will. And so the coming of the Lord is so close at hand. I, I, I can't tell you when. I can't tell you next Tuesday at 3 o'clock. I wish I could. I'd like to say today before church is out. But anyway, I wish I could say that. But the fact is, Scripture tells us, as far as believers, it says, but you brothers, it's talking about believers, are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief in the night. You are children of the light, children of the day. So we're supposed to be aware of the times in which we're living. We're living in that time that Jesus is coming back for his church. And so, everything we're going to be looking at today is related to the sanctity of life. God is the giver of life, and he's the only one that should ever take life. And sometimes he takes life in, in uh, ways, and maybe at times, that we don't understand. And sometimes life is taken by the, the violence of other people. But the reality, there is none who gives or takes away life. Anyone who takes away life other than what God intended, we're going to find is a murderer. Now, in this we're going to be looking at uh, manslaughter and the difference between manslaughter and murder. We're going to be looking at the uh, gosum, which is the, uh, the, the, you know, the one who is, what, what's it called? The what? The Avenger of Blood, yes. And the Avenger of Blood is the nearest kinsman of someone who's died. And if someone is killed, even if it's an accident, that Avenger of Blood has a right to chase that person down and kill them unless they get into the city of refuge. And, of course, that's our hope, isn't it? Now, um, it's so amazing to me that in Scripture... God had to lay out the difference between murder and manslaughter because it just testifies to the heart of man. 
Because manslaughter most often is in what we call involuntary manslaughter. It's an accident. I mean, most people have no intention of killing another person um, willfully. It's an accident, normally. But the fact that the Bible has to make a distinction between the two shows the heart of man and shows just the, the low opinion that we have of life and just the evil that's in the heart of men that they would go out and just kill and just murder. It's absolutely you know, amazing. But Moses incorporated provisions for those who accidentally killed someone by providing what were called cities of refuge. And, of course, that has a great deal to do with our salvation, which we'll look at in just a moment. So anyway, um, you know, this is interesting. I want to share this because, like I said, murder is considered, according to Scripture and according to law, the shedding of innocent blood, right? Shedding of innocent blood. And this is a quote, actually, I found that in the World Report, too. And this is Keanu West, and some of you know who he is. He's a, a popular singer, isn't he? Something like that. What? What is he? Kanye West. Kanye West. What did I say? <laughs> Keanu Reeves. I'm talking. No. <laughs> Kanye. Kanye West. Here's what he just stated last week. One thousand black children are aborted every day. He said, "We are in genocide." How amazing is that? That so often, the leading cause of death in this world is abortion. That's absolutely amazing. And it shows the evil in the hearts of men. Because you have to understand, the ones who are guilty of the shedding of innocent blood in relationship to abortion are the legislators and those that approve it. So many of the women who get caught up in having an abortion have been convinced it's not real life. That's not really life. It's just a zygote or whatever they want to call it. And so they unintentionally allow themselves to be put in that position, and so many of them are so remorseful afterwards. But think of a nation, think of a world that has allowed and made legal the shedding of the most innocent blood. So we don't think our world has changed. We don't think it's, you know, this capsule has been put around it, the hardness of men's hearts. And that's the reason we know that Jesus is coming back soon. Because Jesus said the whole world lies in wickedness. And Jesus teaches us in, in, you know, prophetically that the world's going to come to a place where there's no turning back. And that's where we are right now. And that's the reason the rapture is going to take place. And understand this. The rapture, when it takes place, is very benevolent on God's part in two ways. It's benevolent to you and I as believers because we're taken out before God's wrath is poured out on this world. He's not appointed us unto wrath, Scripture says, but unto salvation. But the thing is, it just shows the benevolence of God in the sense that when this world turns hard after the rapture takes place, it's already turned hard, but when it really you know, comes under the sway of the wicked one, when we're taken out of the world, many people will come to know Jesus Christ. 
And as I have stated before, I believe it's going to be the largest revival this world has ever seen. And the reason I say that is they have to determine a way to find out who are believers in order to put them to death by beheading. So I'm encouraging you, share your faith, share your belief in the rapture, because here's what's going to happen. When the Lord takes you out of the world and you have a world system saying, it was alien abductions, or we have gone through a new evolutionary stage and all the bad ones were taken out. Those people that have heard the gospel, those people that have been told that this rapture, this catching up, this taking out of the world of the church is going to happen, they're going to know, they're going to believe, and many of them will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to be taken to the city of refuge. So if you open your Bibles along with me to Deuteronomy chapter 19, starting with verse 1, Deuteronomy 19, verse 1. When the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God has given you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall separate three cities for yourselves in the midst of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And you shall prepare roads for yourselves and divide into three parts the territory of your land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit. And any manslayer may flee there. Okay, that's someone who kills someone, whether, you know, if it's involuntary. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in the past, as when a man, and I love it that he even gives an example so we understand what he's talking about. I, I love this in Scripture. And uh, when a man goes, um, goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. That's involuntary manslaughter. He shall flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood, the Goshem, um, while his anger is hot, pursues the manslayer and overtakes him because uh, the way is long and kills him, though he was not deserving of death because it was an accident, since he had not hated the victim in the past. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall separate three cities for yourself. Now, now understand, they already had three cities separated on the east side of the Jordan. Because that's where the you know the Manasseh, Ephraim, and uh, what was the other one? There's three tribes of state on the on the east side. But anyway, then he's telling them when you go over the Jordan into the land, you're going to establish three more cities of refuge. Now we're going to find as we continue this, he's saying if you take all the land I promised, then there's another three cities. Okay. And uh, verse 7, Therefore I command you, saying, You shall separate three cities for yourself. Now, if the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he swore to your fathers and gives you the land which he promised to give your, your fathers, and if you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk always in his ways, then you shall add three more cities on top of those three, uh, for yourselves besides these three, lest innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you 
as an inheritance, and thus guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him, and strikes him mortally so that he dies, that's murder, willful murder, and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over uh, to the hands of the avenger of blood that he may die. Your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with you. Now, Jewish history teaches us, because it tells us that these, were, these roads were to be kept, that these roads were probably 50 feet wide. That would be, I think, wider than this church. They had to be kept clear, and if they came to any body of water, they had to build a bridge over it. And if there was any place that there were crossroads, they had to put a sign up that says, Mekeleleth, Mekeleleth. And Mekeleleth means refuge, refuge. And of course, you and I, when we find ourselves guilty of sin, and we are running you know, to the city of refuge, and the Mekeleleth for you and I is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we run in and shall be safe, Scripture tells us. What a blessing that is. And this way, an innocent person uh, could travel to any city of refuge that would be close enough before the avenger of blood was able to catch up to him. Now understand, and, and this seems kind of odd to us, but you, you can understand why this would happen. The avenger of blood, if he caught the person, whether it was intentional murder or, or uh, unintentional manslaughter, the avenger of blood could kill him in his wrath. He could kill him. So that's why they had to flee to these cities of refuge. And when they were in the city of refuge, the avenger of blood could not touch them under the penalty of them being considered murderers. And so that's why they would flee to these cities of refuge for safety. Now, if the people um, in today, if the people love to keep the commandments of the Lord, we have to understand that we have a city of refuge to go to as well, and that is Jesus Christ. So um, it's interesting, too, because there are, we're a total of six cities of uh, refuge, three on one side, three on the other. And the Lord here is commanding them, when you take the rest of the land, I've promised you, he said, then you build three more cities. They never built those three cities because they never took that land. I mean, under David, they uh, went and they occupied some of that land, but they never actually had settlements in it. They never took it over as part of their nation. And so those last three cities of refuge were never constructed, and that's why many Jews believe that the Messiah is still yet to come in order to establish those other cities of refuge. But what they miss is the fact that he has come and he has established cities of refuge, and that is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But we have to understand, just like it says here, anyone who commits intentional murder is not forgiven. The cities of refuge weren't for them. But how wonderful for you and I that even being guilty, we can flee into these cities of refuge. Because when we confess our sin and ask God to forgive us and we're purified from all unrighteousness, 
we are now found clean and we can enter into the city of refuge who is Jesus Christ and to be forgiven our sins. It's such an amazing thing. You know, um, just uh, turn with me to Psalm 91, verse 2. Psalm 91, verse 2. 91-2. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. You find yourself in sin, you run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. And then turn your in Psalms, just go a little bit further into Proverbs. Go to Proverbs 18.10. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. Proverbs 18 and verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. How amazing is that? Because the thing we have to understand, human life is so frail. You understand that. You realize that, don't you? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. I mean, if it's the Lord's will or through whatever, our life could be ended. And because life is so fragile, I mean, we're not like some, you know, some of these superhero guys that can withstand rockets being, you know what I mean? We're humans. Oh, by the way, there really are no such thing as the Avengers. You know, that's just a movie. You guys know that. But the fact is, we are very frail. It doesn't take much, and we're dead. So therefore, I heard someone once say, don't be caught dead without Jesus. <laughs> you don't want to be. Because if we have Jesus Christ, you never die. Now, do you understand that? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He that lives and believes in me never dies. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, you close your eyes in death and you open it in eternity. Wow. What an awesome promise that is. What a city of refuge that is for you and I. In Deuteronomy... Chapter 30. In fact, you can turn to that. It's just going ahead a few chapters. We're in Deuteronomy 19 anyway. Go to Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. Such an amazing verse of Scripture, portion of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, and uh, your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land of the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give them. And so the fact of the matter is, we have to make a choice. Are we going to follow the Lord or not? He's laid before us a choice. 
And the thing that's wonderful about that choice is Scripture tells us anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, what about some, uh, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Well, what if someone has, was a, a murderer and they're in prison? And, and can they accept Jesus and be saved? Yes. Anyone. Because the reality is all of us are guilty of the shedding of blood. Not necessarily literally, but of the shedding of blood. I mean, just think of how mankind is. What has our world been but a, a, um, just a horrible environment of war and pestilence and, and hunger and, and disease? That's our world. But Jesus has a promise that's better than that. He has a place for us that we're going to find the peace that God had promised since the garden. When man sinned, he fell out of the grace of God. And remember, the very first crime that was committed was in the garden when Cain killed his own brother, Abel, and then tried to hide it, tried to cover up his murder. And so we have to realize that that's in the heart of man. And the only way our heart can be changed is by giving it completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have to remember the fact that it was sin that killed Jesus. You understand that. The Romans didn't kill him. The Jews who brought him to uh, Pontius Pilate, they didn't kill him. It was sin that killed Jesus. It wasn't nails. There's a song we even sing that's like this. It wasn't nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for you and for me. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So there had to be a final sacrifice for sin. Up to this point, the Jews had a lamb that they would bring on the Day of Atonement and they would slaughter it for the sins of the people. But then you turn around and sin and it was just temporary. It never really covered sin. But in Jesus Christ, there is a kofar. There is a covering for sin. And if we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he comes in and he forgives all of our sin. But the cost of that forgiveness was a horrible death on a cross. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus Christ even said himself, he said, if I wanted to, I could call for ten legions of angels. But he hung there willingly and died willingly that you and I might have our sins forgiven. And then he rose from the dead on the third day just as he promised that you and I might have eternal life. If we die in Christ, we'll also live in him unto eternity. It's such an amazing promise. So the thing we have to realize that Jesus Christ is there for those who want to run to him to have their sins forgiven and to have their life changed. But Jesus Christ isn't just some kind of a magic formula that someone can run to in the midst of presumptuous sin, never intending to change their lifestyle at all. There's a huge difference between the person who is a believer and falls to sin as a believer and needs to confess and repent. There's a big difference between that person and someone who claims to be a Christian but has no intention of changing their lifestyle. They live the way they always did. 
they really don't have any feelings of guilt or remorse. Maybe once in a while they go to a church service or revival meeting and they have some guilty feelings. And all that, but they have no intention of changing their life because their heart hasn't been changed. In Jesus Christ, our heart has been changed. We've been brought to a new place in him. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Because understand this, Christ shelters those who flee to him from their sin, but not those who expect to be sheltered in their sin. There's a huge difference there. In Hebrews chapter 10, go to verse 26. And I'm going to read verses 26 through 27. <clears throat> For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the, uh, the adversaries. Now, a lot of people read that and they're confused and they're saying, well, what do you mean? If, if I willfully commit sin after I'm saved, I'm, I'm not saved and I can't be forgiven? No. The word there for willfully in the Greek is hekosions. And what it literally means is um, a person who has absolutely no will, no desire, no conviction about sin. And what they really are saying is, I, I don't ever intend to change. This is just the way I am, but I want to be forgiven anyway. In other words, they're very presumptuous. Because when we come to Jesus Christ as believers, if we're honest, every one of us would have to admit that even as a believer, we have fallen to sin. All of us have to. If you don't believe that, then, then you really are deceived. But every single one of us has fallen to sin. His mercies are new every morning. Why? Because we need them. <laughs> Lord, forgive me a sinner. I mean, that's our constant prayer. I mean, when we pray, you know, forgive me a sinner. You know, when we think of what's called the Lord's Prayer, which really isn't the Lord's Prayer, it's just how he taught his disciples to pray. And he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But one of the things it says, and forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And so we're asking Jesus to forgive us our sins, but in the same hand, he's telling us then we also need to forgive other people their sins. Sometimes that's harder, isn't it? Well, I can understand why I need forgiveness of sins, and I can even understand why God would forgive me. But I don't have to forgive that person. That person deserves it. Who are we to ever say that? Every single one of us deserves death. Every single one of us deserves damnation. But because of the love of God in Christ Jesus, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. And as a believer, you might fall to sin. Maybe you allow yourself to be in a circumstance you shouldn't be in, or maybe you allow yourself to, to go here, to go there, and you fall into some sin. But as a believer, there's going to be an intense feeling of conviction in your heart. You're going to be feeling, I'm awful. And it's true, you are. <laughs> That's why we cry out to the Lord. God, forgive me, a sinner. But the person who goes to the Lord, and, and you might have even talked to people that are like this, 
Well, you know, I, I ask God to forget, but I'm really a good person. The minute someone says that, it should be a red flag that goes up. Well, and really, I'm a good person. What does the Bible say? No, there's not one good. No, not one. The only good person, the only perfect person that walked this earth is Jesus Christ. And he came to this earth and lived that perfect life for no other reason than love for you and love for me. And so this portion is telling us that in Jesus Christ, there is refuge from sin. We run to him. And you want to know something? When we're born again, we're saved. We're going to heaven. And if you're born again and you love Jesus Christ and you, you know, let, let, let's say you died in the middle of committing a sin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's say you died in the middle of getting drunk. Would that person go to heaven? Yep. Why? Because they're born again of the Spirit. And because they had fallen to, you know, some sin, it doesn't mean that they're exempt from heaven because that means every one of us, if that were the case, every one of us would have to walk around perfect. I'd never do anything wrong because what if I die right now? But the reality is that you belong to Jesus. And even if you are in the midst of sin, if you belong to Jesus, you're going to be with him. But on the other hand, if you have a person who never feels convicted of sin, well, I remember talking to a, a, a young guy years ago, years and years ago. You would have no idea who I'm talking about, so don't try to figure it out. And he said to me one time, he said, you know, Pastor, he said, I'm the most humble man I know. Wow. Cool. <laughs> well, the thing is, when we're at that place where we're thinking, you know, man, I'll tell you what, I'm just, I'm just something. I'm, I'm just so humble and I'm just so... There's a problem there. Because Pastor Frank Jr. talks about those hours of self-loathing. And I think every one of us have had those hours of self-loathing. Maybe you wake up in the middle of the night or maybe you lay down at night or, or whenever it might be, or you're sitting at your desk, whatever it might be, you're, and all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, man, what a horrible person I am. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I did that. But you want to know something? That conviction you're feeling is showing you that you belong to Jesus Christ. Because if you didn't belong to Jesus Christ, you'd be thinking, when can I do it again? But instead, you're feeling awful about it. You're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But you also have to remember the promise of God. If we confess our sin, He, He is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us, wash us clean from all unrighteousness. That's the Lord we serve. So you talk about a city of refuge. You know, the Jews might have had these cities that they could run to and the roads had to be kept wide and cleared and, and it had to be an easy access and there had to be signs pointing them there. Well, we have a city of refuge that's way better than that. And that is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is saying, all who have sinned, come unto me. He'll forgive us. He'll take the burdens off our shoulders. I mean, probably most of us, if you've never had this experience, and I, well, pray about it, but all of us have had those times where it's like, 
I am so unworthy. I am so unworthy. But here's the newsflash. Yes, you are unworthy. And so am I unworthy. Jesus Christ, in his love, died for people who were unworthy. And it's in him that we have eternal life. We're not the same, at least hopefully, as we were the day we were saved. But we're never going to have perfection in this life, you understand. I mean, there are things that I really don't do anymore since I've been saved. But there are plenty of other things I still struggle with. But one day, all those struggles will be gone. When perfection, when imperfection puts on perfection, when this mortal puts on immortality, then the last enemy to be conquered is death. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, what a promise that is. And so, <clears throat> brothers and sisters, if you have an avenger of blood coming after you, guilt, shame, run to your city of refuge, who is Jesus Christ. Be forgiven, be purified, and have the safety and confidence of knowing you belong to him. Father, we thank you so much for the truth that we find in your word. And I pray that this portion would really, really encourage us to seek you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to know that you are our refuge. You are our city on a hill. You are the one who keeps us safe from the avenger of blood. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that if there are any here today that have never been born again in the Spirit, have never really run into that city of refuge, this would be the day of their salvation, that they would confess their sin ask your forgiveness and for you to take over their lives. Father, I pray that you would do so. I know you will. It's your promise. And I ask, Father, that you would bless each one of us and cause us to be your witnesses, to be a light into this world. As this world gets darker and darker, our light will shine brighter and brighter. And so we give you thanks for your word and for this day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.